it is an untapped element of market research. Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting, and you can email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life and use it as a business building tool. This is episode 100 plus 14 plus one, and today's guest is Christina Kevin Garnett. She she is not Kevin Garnett. She is an amazing social media strategist, social listening expert, digital marketing extraordinaire, and she's spoken at Inbound and some of the other top conferences out there. She has an amazing ability to take in what is going on in the world, what is going on in the offline world, the online world, and translate what it means for you, for your brand, for for your personal brands on social media, and how to truly understand, get to know your audience online, and help your business in that route. Also, she is a fellow space nerd, so, you know, blast off. All right, it is Christina G. Let's get into it. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with that Christina G, Christina Garnett, the amazing, what should we call it? No, I'm just kidding. The amazing (laughs) Swiss army knife of digital social listening, all things in that space. Christina, thanks for joining. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, Excited to dig into some of your specialties, things that you just consistently knock out of the park and are exhibited on Twitter and a lot of the uh, internet sphere. Before we get into that, your background, I've heard you describe it before as weird. Yes. (laughs) Why do you have a weird background? It's one of those things where you wind up getting to your destination, but when you look back, it's just a windy, windy road. I was an English major um, in college and then got into teaching, but was offered a math position and kind of fell in love with that and was teaching math for five years. And then met my husband, got married, got pregnant, did the whole stay at home mom thing for a while and had to essentially um, like reinvent myself and try to figure out, okay, now I'm actually an adult. What do I do? And my husband, like two weeks into us dating, had said that I should go into marketing because I would I would fix things, as he would put it. I'm a deconstructionist at heart. One of the classes I had to take in college was breaking down what kind of, almost like critique style theory that you kind of, what box you went into. And at the time I was offended by the whole concept. I was like, I don't fit in a box. I'm unique, I'm different. Sure enough, I fit right into the deconstructionist box. <laughs> you fit into the box that is taking apart boxes. Yes, yes. And we'll tell you how to rebuild it better. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So did that, um, was working for an art museum and they they had some social, they had a social presence, but it was nominal at best. And no one on staff really wanted to jump into it. So myself and another teammate, she really liked Instagram. So she wanted to take Instagram and I was like, I'll take Twitter and Facebook. 
and see what happens. And essentially jumped in and taught myself, um, seeing what works, what doesn't work, what was really resonating with their audience, what were other, and just naturally observing how people behave. I find that the, it's not the features for social platforms. That's not what makes them evolve. It's how users use it. It's how users talk on that platform. It's that user culture that's created over time. Once you figure out what that user culture is, that's how you're able to dive in and determine what's going to work best and which platform is best for you. And then found HubSpot Academy. So I was actually able to get some proper education, not just observational, and just fell in love and essentially married the math teacher and me and the English major in me. I love, I love analytics. I love data with my entire soul. I love social listening. I love, but I also love the creative side where you're able to really embrace and see what's going to make you stop scrolling. What's going to make you pay attention. What's going to make you stay. And so very weird, very windy road to get here, but it makes sense in what I do on the daily now. So you married those two parts of you. How does your husband fit into that marriage picture then? He's a graphic designer. So he, he has, he has the creative skill set that I don't have. Like I, I couldn't, like I can, I can make things in Photoshop and I can optimize things and make them look prettier. But if you had me sit down and like, he has an MFA in illustration. And so he, he's able to actually create art. I, I cannot, I can, I can acknowledge it. I can, I can recognize it in a heartbeat, but you can deconstruct it. I can deconstruct it, but, um, but I wouldn't call myself like there's the conversation of content creators around, around our industry um, and social as a whole. And I've, I've always tried to, I've never really seen myself as a creator. I've always seen myself as a consumer and as someone who is there to take something and figure out how it can be better or strategize how it's most apt, like where, where would it perform best and how can it be distributed um, better? But I think of people who like are actual creators who were, who were, who were creating these videos and who are making these logos and graphics. And I, I see them as, as, so much better than I am in some capacity because that that ability to like literally create from nothing I, I don't see myself as having that skill set and and my husband and and other people that I consider creators definitely do well I think you're incredibly humble about it because you definitely have tons of creativity flowing out and I think it's really interesting that you brought up the consumer piece because if you look back at your weird wavy winding <laughs> wacky inflatable tube man career you went from teaching and working at an art museum, kind of working face-to-face with consumers or your, your clients, if you will, even if they're students, to going the online route. And now, as the world gets more and more this way, really, you're talking about consumers on the other end of a social media platform or a certain online medium there. How has that transition been for you? It's actually been smoother than you would think it would be. I, as a teacher, a lot of the, a lot of the positions I was, I was given were, and this is gonna sound horrible, but it's true. As a math teacher, I was given the kids that no one wanted. And that sounds horrible, but that's what happened. 
everyone wants the straight A kids. Everyone wants the honors kids who they're not, there's not gonna be a ton of questions. You're just gonna get the kids who you don't have to worry about them doing their homework. They're just gonna do it. They're just gonna excel. And however you package it for them, they're gonna get it done. Versus the kids who are gonna struggle. They might have learning differences or they might need to be taught in a specific way the one of the places that I worked at was a school that was specifically for students with learning differences, specifically like dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, a couple that had Asperger's. And we had smaller, we had smaller group setting. Um, a lot of the classes I taught were about five to six students. And we had a method called the Orton Gillingham method. And it was a way of teaching specialized teaching to different learning styles, but also making sure that they're able to understand it. And I find that that is such a core piece of what today's content marketers need to do, whether they realize it or not, personalizing content so that it's not consumed the way, not, not necessarily consumed the way you want it to be consumed, but the way that it needs to be consumed by your audience specifically. So is a video better than static? Is text better than that? If you do a video, it needs to be accessible. So you need to make sure there's captions. A lot of the best content marketers I know, they are actually incorporating that, those pieces, that pers like that personalization of this is how this kind of consumer is going to is going to best resonate and best this is the way that it's going to be best optimized for them. They just haven't necessarily been given permission to say, this is very similar. I'm I'm creating pockets of math knowledge and I'm presenting it in such a way that it's more likely for that child's brain to understand. And then as, as an older adult and now as a marketer, I'm doing the exact same thing, but I'm not necessarily doing it for students. I'm doing it for whatever the target audience is for a brand. That's crazy to think about. You are not going to believe this. My girlfriend, Dana, is a teacher mm -hmm. and teaches a lot of students, not unlike the students you described, and she actually specializes in OG, as she calls it. Yay! So literally, I like I didn't think I'd ever hear that on a podcast anywhere <laughs> outside of I talking to Dana. But that's him. that's that's so funny. What are the odds? OG mm -hmm. is just it's just taken over. But it but it is so cool that it translated across very different industries like that. But it's a, it's a very similar thing that you're doing, and it was a key learning for you. Before we move on, I want to hit on one out of this world transition, you spent some time in a program at NASA. Yes. How was that experience? So out of this world, puns, puns abound. Um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I was making sure you got that. Yeah, the NASA social program, for those who don't know, is it's kind of an influencer program specifically with NASA. You're able to apply and attend launches and you get behind the scenes tours, you get to go to news briefings for, um, for an up and coming launch. They have it, the one I went to was, at, um, was in Florida, but they have it at different, at different um, stations across, across the country. So if there's, a specific, um, if there's a specific location near you, but it is one of the best audience engagement campaigns and programs I've ever seen, like of any brand, the NASA social team is probably my favorite when it comes to taking something that could really be esoteric 
Like they could easily make it, they could easily create content that makes you feel like an idiot. It's NASA, but they don't. They know how to create suspense. They know how to create hype. They know how to make you feel like you're there. They make space feel attainable. They make it feel approachable to anyone. And they don't just, the thing that I loved about it too was that though I was on the CRS 18 launch, the one that um, is probably most well known for taking Nickelodeon slime up to the International Space Station. Oh, of course. And the, the, what was so great though is that there was a mixture of people in my program. It's not simply, hey, so-and-so has over 50,000 followers. They'll have good reach. We should have them come. It is a mixture of people who are principals who are gonna who are gonna share their learnings with their students and with their neighborhood. It's people who are journalists for independent newspapers who who want to share this out with their listeners. It's people who have STEM programs for children. It's influencers. It's but it's such a core embrace people who love NASA for NASA that you know that if they chose you that it isn't necessarily because of one specific metric. It's because they know this will be special for you. They know that you have, you have a specific way you can share this with your audience, whatever that audience is. And so you get to meet the NASA social team and the, our launch was literally right after the moon landing anniversary. So I don't know if they ever slept between them. I mean, like bless them. I don't think they did. <laughs> <laughs> no way. But just the kindest people I've ever met. It's the, um, I want to say it's the Walter Cronkite building, but you get to go to the news briefing area and you get to go in there and we got to, we got to hear from the scientists talking about the experiments and, and things that they were going to have being sent to um, the International Space Station. We got to ask them questions. We got to be a part of um, helping do social listening. So we had like the Ask NASA we were able to not only like live tweet things as we were going and taking pictures of different things. Uh, we were able to drive around to parts that are off limits to non NASA employees. So we were able to like drive past the, um, the SpaceX building and go through there and see the launch pad that was going to be used for hours. And then we got to go um, to one of the locations where the staff get to watch the launch and got to, to share that with our audiences too so please 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 apply i don't care how many times you have to do it but like please 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 apply it's such an amazing community everyone is so kind everyone is so hyped and excited to be there and everyone realizes how special it is you know when you go to like a marvel movie and it's like the day that it opens and you feel like you're there with your family because you know that this character means as much to you as it does to them that's how it felt at nasa social like, wow. It's like, these are my, these are my space family. Like, these are my space yeah. friends. These are my people. I, I definitely recommend it. Well, it sounds like, I mean, it really is an out of this world experience. I mean, whether you call it stellar or cosmic, or we could just go all day with this, but <laughs> it's really cool that you got to experience that. And it is hard to conceive of taking something as vast and infinitely expansive as the universe and not not dumbing it down, but you know, making it concise and like fluent enough to talk about it on social media and have you know consistent content and conversations and engagement, and it's just a, a mind blowing thing. So that's really cool. You got to experience that. So as you alluded to, 
let's get to social listening. And so this is for all you social listeners out there. I couldn't resist. <laughs> In your own words, what's your definition of social listening? Using strategic keywords and mentions to understand what your target audience and potential audience think and view when it comes to your product, your service, your industry, your competitors, your brand, anything. It is an untapped element of market research. I like that. We'll give it to you. I'm sure Merriam-Webster will give you like the thumbs up, the, you know, the Chuck <laughs> Norris thumbs up. But no, that's really good. I, I hadn't thought about it from like, I mean, there's kind of the pillars of keywords and mentions and, you know, things that you're actually diving into. What's the greater purpose behind it? Like why should anyone or any business owner pay more attention to social listening and add it to the repertoire? A lot of people think about social listening. So they, they confuse social monitoring with social listening. So that social monitoring is very much short term. So you're finding those keywords and mentions and you're responding and, or you're evaluating and, or liking, or someone gives you brand love and you, and you write that back, you give that love back. Social listening takes it a step further. So you're looking for things, whether you're mentioned or not, um, it could be a phrase that is specific to what you do. So like Airbnb could be searching for people who say something on Twitter to the effect of going on a trip or road trip or can't wait to go see blank. And what they're able to do is not only are they able to see what, how many people are talking about specific things, they're able to see how many people are using this kind of verbiage versus this. How many people are looking at, would use this kind of like colloquial like word set versus another, which is huge for SEO. But it also gives you attitudes. It lets you read the room. 2020 is the year of everyone needs to be able to read the room, every single person. It's a minefield. And so being able to understand what things are being said can be the difference between whether or not your brand posts something or pauses, whether they decide that they need to make a statement about Black Lives Matter or if a statement is enough and they need to not only make a statement, but they need to have like a game plan of here's, here's the action that we're taking. It's the difference between whether you realize that your product is good enough to stand up to a competitor, or if there's a specific feature that a competitor has that you don't have, that's the difference between you, them being successful and you not. It, it's like this, I'm going to sound like such a nerd, but it is the ability to read your audience's mind. And it's instead of instead of giving surveys where they where you know there's going to be confirmation bias based on how you phrased a question or based on where they see that you're not going to have that in social listening because you're able to capture their words from them, not because it was provoked by a question by you, but because they specifically felt that way and needed to share it. One, one great thing about that is if you think about Sonic the Hedgehog movie, it's such a, it's such, that whole situation is such a huge win for social listening because it came out, it got dragged all over the place, 
And they could have just let that be, but they decided to look and see like, where do people have the biggest problem? Okay, the teeth are horrible. Okay, cool, noted. Okay, the fur's a mess. Okay, cool, cool, cool. They're able to see all of that hate as an opportunity to define exactly what needs to be fixed. And then they fix those exact problems. And that's, I mean, talk about, talk about optimizing as you go. I mean, even the best products need to constantly be tweaked, need to constantly be improved, need to see how are users using something? Is there something that needs to be fixed or changed? And by doing social listening, you're able to have a better understanding of what those changes need to be. Not stories because everyone else has stories, not a new layout because everyone needs a new layout, but you're making specific changes because that is what your audience has specifically requested, whether they realize you're listening or not. And I feel like that's where the real difference is made is when you actually take things into consideration and actually make those changes. I got to chuckle a little bit because you 2020 has been so like off the charts nuts that you described it as it's a minefield. And my first thought was, well, that's putting it lightly. Yeah. This has taken a really interesting turn because when we started this interview, I did not expect to get into mind reading. And now I am all about mind reading. How do you read your consumers' minds? It starts with empathy. And it's the one thing that's been missing all year. And maybe it hasn't been missing. Maybe we just finally realized it, was, it wasn't there for a lot of people and for a lot of brands. I saw it when early March, when a lot of brands were still trying to go hard with like sales and like emails and there's their, they hadn't paused yet. And I was one of those people on Twitter that had been watching COVID in China since January. So I was just like waiting, like just anxiety boost to pieces, just waiting, knowing it was going to hit. And I know I'm not the only person on Twitter that did that. A lot of us were just like watching. And so to see brands in March still acting like same old, same old. And granted, no one saw this. Like no one saw how this year was going to, was going to happen. And all the, just everything has happened, but it just struck me so viscerally because I immediately, I immediately realized that they weren't seeing the world from my perspective. And that's hard for a customer. That's hard for a consumer because there are so many people on social. There's so many brands that want to buy you something there. Almost every brand has a competitor that can't wait to sell you the exact same thing you need. The only real difference is the logo. So what is the differentiator? It's the one that makes you feel like that's my brand. That's my place is the rate. The reason why people will drink Starbucks and not Dunkin'. The reason why people will drink Dunkin' and not Starbucks. It's that connection. And that connection comes from empathy. That connection comes from your customer understanding and feeling like they get me. They understand my pain point. Because if you're selling me something and you're able to showcase to me that you understand why I need it and you understand what I'm going through daily, that's going to resonate with me. It's the difference between feeling sold to and feeling helped. It's a completely different mindset, but the transaction, like the money exchange is the same. It's how it makes you feel. And this year has been so much about emotion. 
when you're trying to cut yourself off or you're burned out or you feel despair or you're just desperately looking on TikTok for something to make you laugh. It's just this constant flood of emotion and brands need to be able to have a connection with their customers. So the customer's like, oh, I love them. They make me feel special. They make me feel heard and understood. That's what's gonna get that conversion. Because there's plenty of people who can do a banner ad and there's plenty of people who can put something in a store, but it's what's gonna make you feel special. What's gonna make you feel seen? What's gonna create this emotional trigger that makes you want to give them your money? Mic drop. Well said. I think <laughs> you see that sometimes of just, it's kind of like this intangible feeling when a brand does get you, like when yes. you can actually say they get me, like, oh, they know I'm a space nerd, you know, mm -hmm. weirdo that, no, but they- I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, hey, me too. <laughs> this is why this interview is happening. But how do you describe that? Like, how do you think you can break it down from a brand or company's perspective to do things, to take the actions that are necessary for a consumer in their mind to be like, damn, they get me. I think it has to come with understanding that you need to be different and that you need to be true to who you are as a brand, as well as to your customers. There's such a need to piggyback off of things that are done successfully by other brands, but that's because it's, it feels like such a genuine shortcut. This worked for them, so I'll just copy paste and we'll be fine. But people underestimate how much content consumers see and they see patterns. Like there's a reason why when you're little, one of the first things you're taught is like how to recognize patterns because, because when you're little, your brain can figure that out. As adults, we do the same thing. So if I see someone doing something similar, like a similar ex like execution for a campaign, I may not immediately recognize that, but my subconscious does. I'm gonna, I'm gonna understand that I've seen this in some way before. I may not be able to tell you what the brand they're copying is, but I can see it. So you need to, it needs to feel special. So one of the, one of the best ways to do this, and I've, and I've, and I've loved this about 2020, is the drive for purpose. The brands and the people who used their voice to help others are the ones that I have been emotionally drawn to this year, more so than ever, because we all feel completely powerless. Like, let's be 100% honest. Like, unless you have a cure in your back pocket, you want to you snap your fingers and fix things, and you can't. You can't. But when you see someone that has a larger audience than you, that has a larger digital footprint, and you see them being a force for good or being a voice for someone other, then it feels incredibly powerful. So one example of this would be um, Chef Jose Andres. One of my favorite humans on Twitter, if he doesn't get the Nobel Prize in my lifetime, I'm gonna be so angry, I can't put it into words <laughs> because the man has earned it so many times over. You're going to be knocking at the, the Nobel Peace Prize door. I am. Be like, hey, I'm a nobody, but let me tell you how to do your job. I'm actually right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but his whole thing, his whole thing is using food, which is so associated with comfort. And then he's actually giving comfort with it. He's helping restaurateurs. 
He's helping people that work in restaurants. He's helping low income areas that are suffering. People who are starving because they don't have anywhere else to go. And here comes this man who has built his entire career around food and that is the gift he can give others. So anytime I see any content from him, it's an immediate retweet for me. It's an immediate share for me because if all I can do is amplify that voice of good, then I feel like that's a tiny piece of power I can take for myself that I can amplify him and he can help make better days for other people. He can make sure that a child gets to eat today. He's going to make sure that someone gets to laugh, that someone realizes how bad things are. And so the brands that are, who are lost and who are like, that sounds great, Christina. I don't know how to do that. My first recommendation would be, how can you help? How can you make this chaotic hellscape a little bit brighter for just anybody? It can be partnering with the nonprofit. It can be amplifying others who are doing a good job. But that is where I would go because the one thing that all of us have in common, like literally everybody, we all know that things can be better. And we all want things to be better in our own way. So one emotional connection that you can score with people that you can actively act on, that you can create content for is, what can your brand do to make things better? In a small way, in a big way, how can you empower your audience to make things better? Anything. That is the one emotional connection I would go for, is this purpose-driven, let's make things better, let's fix something, let's, let's make one, one person's day better, and here's how we do it. That's what I would do. Yeah, it's a really powerful way of looking at it. These themes of helping and empathy keep coming up. And yes, it can be tricky, it's, but no matter how you slice it, if you know a brand is there for you, if you know a brand is there to help, it comes across better than you know the flip side of things. So that's from the overall theme and effort standpoint. What about specific tools or tactics that you use? Do you have any go-to favorites when you're in this social listening mindset? I do. I'm a big fan of Talkwalker. I use, um, for people who don't have a big budget for this, I like Talkwalker alerts. Think of it like Google alerts, but for social. So you're able to go in and you're able to figure out like the keywords they would use, the hashtags they would use. Um, one thing that I would be very mindful of is a, there are a lot of people who are, they have this unnecessary connection to hashtags. You have to understand that your audience isn't going to strategically put a hashtag thinking, well, they're going to see it now. You have to think about how they would speak. And so what I always start doing is I make a list of um, basically almost like content pillars. What are the kind of topics that people would talk about my industry, my brand, my product or service? What are those kind of content pillar topics? What, what kind of, what kind of use case would we have here? And then once I have those, then I kind of dive into the verbiage and copy as to like, how would these people speak about this? And then once I have that list, then I go in and I search natively to see, are my, are the, is this hypothesis matching what I'm actually seeing? So creating a list and then going in there natively and kind of jumping in and seeing like, what are the kind of conversations we're having here? What are people saying? And then optimizing tweaking and then knowing that that's going to be a living document because the way that people spoke about travel 
two years ago versus this year, little different, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So you have to adapt that strategy and think about how are things changing? How, how have the behaviors of my audience changed specifically? And then from that social listening, you're going to be able to, in Talkwalker, you can get alerts for that. But there's also Mention, Agora Pulse. You can use uh, TweetDeck's really great for mentions if you like, and hashtags if you do like that sort of thing. But you're able to dive in there, and then you're able to not only pull this information in, but you're able to see what are this, what's the sentiment for these conversations. Sure, they're mentioning the brand, or they're mentioning something that has to do with us, but what is the tonality of it? Like, are they super happy? Do they love us? Do they want Twitter or Twitter or Facebook to remove our account? Like they hate us. Are they boycotting us? Like, what are they saying? Because I, there's, there's this kind of metric war where everyone wants mentions and everyone wants like people talking about them, but sentiment is so crucial. I don't want, I'd rather people not talk about me than people just, all they have to say is like horrible things, you know? Yeah. I'll say, so, well, I, I won't say horrible things, but yeah. <laughs> And I, I mean, like, I would hold up Mr. Peanut for that. Mr. Peanut has to have mentions as like the biggest metric because it can't be sentiment. Positive sentiment can't be a KPI. Like it, <laughs> it, it cannot be because they failed if it is. Yeah. How many times can you like change up a character that's been iconic for years and like reinvent and then change the age and all this? Like, yeah, but they keep coming back. And so it's kind of like the quibby of mascots. Like they should have quit by now, but I'm like, you just keep going. Like, I don't know if I should just like have an intervention or just be really proud that you're resilient. I have no idea, but it's all about, you need to know those KPIs and, and understand that you're going to have to check on those, uh, check on those metrics every now and then too. Like is, is the sentiment shifting based on creating a new campaign or how you decided to react to a hot button issue? A lot more brands and influencers even are realizing that they're because they have a they have a large following their followers are like that's great but where do you stand here because i it goes back to that emotional it's almost like um social culture you need to prove like do we share the same values because i'm following you and i like your content but do you believe what i believe do you share what i share does this anger you as well does this make you happy as well and so i think I think what we're seeing is that like more and more people are having to decide like how, how, how is our content performing when it comes down to just more than likes and retweets and, and shares, it has to come down to more than that. It has to come down to how did this connect? Are they happy? Did it make them sad? It all, it always comes back to that because that's how you remember things, you know? Right. Yeah. You don't remember a day in the park when you were little because it was the day in the park. You remember that day in the park is how it made you feel. Did you fall? Did you hurt yourself? Did your parents help you? It wasn't a nice memory. Those, those things hold because they create an emotional connection. That's why. And that's how brands can stick. Yeah. And in my case at the park, I definitely fell. I literally have a, <laughs> a scar in my left oh, eyebrow no. from falling in the preschool park. It's okay. It, it was a while ago, but thank you. <laughs> Just a couple years ago. <laughs> Thank you. Any, any, any way you slice it, it's a wonderful thing that there are more and more tools seemingly every year that we as as humans, as marketers, as brands can learn things about our customers and, and fans and 
get so much more insight and get so much closer to, as you said earlier, reading their minds than previously you would have had to, you know, just, I guess, play with a magic eight ball. If you are shaking up your eight ball and it is saying to you, I am a business owner who wants a podcast for my brand, and I know it can do great things from a business building and networking standpoint, but I also know it is not in my best interest to spend every single second and every single fine detail involved in editing the podcast, planning it, and putting it out there. Then, I'm your guy. You are in the right place. Email me at max at maxpodcasting.com, and let's get rolling. Now, let's find out some more about how Christina does all the stuff she does. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's get to a segment on inspiration and creativity. Mm-hmm. What do you do to stay creative? I One of two things. So I write and I consume. Um, there's a really great book by Alan Gannett um, called The Creative Curve. Oh, yeah. I've seen it like all over LinkedIn. You need to read it. It's so good. I know. Um, I'm trying to get he, him on. He's he's fantastic. He's so lovely. He's very kind um, and brilliant. Um, but the book, um, one of the major tenets of it is talking about how in order to create, you need to consume. And he talks about how like the CEO of Netflix, how he used to work in a video store and how he would just constantly watch movies. And it makes sense when you're talking about like you're consuming all of this content, how it would make sense and help you in creating your own whatever um, based on that love of what you're consuming. So I'm constantly consuming anything I can get my hands on, blogs, articles, anything on Twitter, um, Reddit, Medium. I read, I, I, I read voraciously. And so when I write, I find that it tends to it tends to pour out of me more. I can always tell when I've been consuming a lot because when it's my turn to give something, it falls out of my hands almost. It just like falls onto the keyboard. Why do you think that is? Why do you think consuming things helps you to things to fall out of your head when you're, when you're writing? For me, there's, and I, I know other people feel this way too. There's always the idea of like, I don't know why I should write anything. Like everything's already been written. Like nothing's original. Like there's nothing new. In consuming other things, you have to understand that it may not be 100% original, but there's going to be nuggets in there that you've never thought of before, that you've never seen before. By, by reading someone else's take on something, it showcases that new thoughts can be made. That if I find their voice valuable, then maybe someone will find my voice valuable. And you feel encouraged to share that perspective. I'm going to take that and spin it and say that you can find inspiration from somebody else's piece and it can trigger like a whole entirely new idea by the time that you've got your piece out there. Somebody could look at it and it's like only a sliver of what inspired you to write in the first place. Like it's it's a whole chain of creativity. In terms of consuming all of these how do you divide your time? Because I mean, you just rattled off like a bunch of different sources and content platforms that you like to consume. How do you divide your time to make sure that you still have, you know, a semblance of time for space nerdism and all sorts of all sorts of things in your free time outside of work, in addition to consuming all this stuff? 
I find that I naturally read things, like I naturally dive in. I try to give myself about five minutes, an hour to Twitter just to kind of check on things, see what's going on and then jump back off so I can work. Otherwise I could live on Twitter. Like I could live on Twitter all day long and never get anything. Oh my God. Yeah. Just keep refreshing it. Yeah. I just keep refreshing and this is like a whole new world of knowledge. I just have to refresh, (laughs) but I can't do that. I have to, I have to make a living. I have to work. So I tend to give myself five minutes, an hour just to kind of go in, see how things are going. Um, see if there's anything new, see if I have any people that have contacted me or said anything. And then I meditate first thing in the morning. It's usually like 10, 15 minutes and it tends to, it help, it helps me focus. If I ever hit a wall, I have to meditate. I just need to like quiet my mind because it's always running. Like I, my husband jokes that even when like the closest thing to shutting me down is for me to sleep. And even then my brain works. Um, I was working on a report and I was just having an issue. Like I couldn't, I hit a wall and I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. I was like, why, why is it so hard? And then just, I remember I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and my subconscious was like, here's why, and here's how you fix it. And I was like, Oh, so three o'clock in the morning, I wake up, I have a notebook beside my bed. So I wrote down what the answer was. I was like, here's what my brain is telling me. Knowing full well, I could wake up at eight o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning and it would be like gibberish or it could be like, this is the answer. But when I woke up normally, it was the answer. So I was able to do my thing. So I tend to calm down at night by reading. I read a lot. Um, and that's when I do the majority of it. My husband's a gamer. So our marriage works because he just he just plays on his Xbox on the couch, on one side of the couch, and I'm on the other side of the couch laid out, just like reading. So he plays as many games as he wants, and I just read as much as I want. And so it's the, the key to a successful marriage, you, you let your hubs game while you read. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think that's the secret to everything. <laughs> I love that you have a notebook beside your bed and like literally, even if it's the middle of the night, which we've all had those nights where you wake up and can't go back to sleep for hours. And that's when your mind is like, all right, now's the time to brainstorm. And I think back to episode 88 had on Nick Uhas, this basically science experimenter on TikTok, who's very- Yeah, I know. He was, he, oh, you're familiar? He, was, he was on my NASA social one. Oh, no way. Yeah. There we go. Uh, all the worlds combined here. He is such, such a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Such a nice guy. He is really, really, really cool dude. And he talked about in that episode how like one of the most creative times is right before bed. So even if you are super tired, like make sure you have a notepad there, um, whether it's, you know, right before bed or if you wake up in the middle of the night with an idea, because if you just think, oh, this is really cool. I can't, I'll address this later in the week. You might completely forget what that idea is after you wake up. So that notepad is essential. Yeah, no, he's, he's so lovely. He's so nice. Um, he was on the, he was on the, um, the NASA social launch that I was at. And I, I completely agree. There's been times I've, I'll work on medium articles <clears throat> and I'll steal. I say that I steal for myself because in the middle of the night I'll get, I always think in, in sentence chunks. And I will just always be like, all right, well, I'm stealing that sentence. And I'll wake up in the middle of the night and write it out. That notebook beside your bed is like the ultimate life hack. We as humans are amazing at remembering random things, but also all too good at forgetting things that we definitely think we will remember. So 100%. It's a great mix there. So let's get to a fan favorite segment called the, oh, I forget the name. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The wild business shout out of the week. The wild business shout out of the week. Okay. (laughs) 
I, I know it's extremely <laughs> impressive. Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. This is where we talk about a an ad or a creative marketing campaign that caught our attention. And there's a Nike ad that you described as having something like 4 million hours of edited footage, something yeah, like that. Like, it was Can you like 4,000, yeah. So it was the ad that came out. It's the split screen composite video. It's about 90 seconds. I think it was like 4,000 hours. It's like took the world by storm. Definitely worth praising. I think, but I think that there's a lot of conversations that were had because of this piece a commentary on what was happening in social and what was happening in society and what was happening in sports too, because around the same time period, a lot of the sports um, that had been planned were being canceled or being delayed. And essentially like, like the sports industry was essentially put in limbo. It was like, we will see everything is TBD. It was masterful. And my, my gut instinct the first time I saw it was this is masterpiece, like an absolute masterpiece a visual and copy messaging, like just married perfectly. So you're able to see the dichotomy of gender, the dichotomy of races, the dichotomy of different sports, but when they all come together with a common purpose and a common message of, of adversity and resilience and empathy and just understanding that so much is happening now that it, it felt, when it came out, it felt like the world, especially the United States was at a breaking point. And so what it showed us was that sports unifies us. Secondly, the thing that hit me was just how many hours this would take to create. So once kind of the shock and awe of it just being masterfully done, I cannot give it enough kudos. My brain, like my project management brain kind of took off and I'm thinking, all right, how many hours do you think it would take to source all of those videos? and to be able to realize that they would match up. And then having to determine once you've sourced the videos, now you have to break down which pieces will work best together. Then you have to determine the timestamps for those so that they'll mesh based on when you want. Then you have to edit them so that they'll be able to do that. Then you have to determine the overall messaging and you have to make sure that it matches within the time sync of how long you want this to happen. And you have to make sure that the messaging doesn't overlap when there are actual audio clips from the sourced video. And you have to get approvals and you have to go through legal and you have to determine distribution and paid and organic. Like just my head was reeling. And in and, and a moment of seeing all this, my second thought was, there are consumers who don't realize how much work this took. There are people who see this, who scroll past, or like, this is great, that don't realize the toil of that. That only people who are in the industry, who are creators, even the people, like I've said previously, like I couldn't make that up. The idea is brilliant. I'm a strategist. I'm a strategist. So like, I'd like to think I'm smart enough that I could have come up with an idea like that, but I couldn't have made that. And I, I feel like a lot of conversations about social, especially in marketing, Twitter has become this understanding of we are not appreciated for how much work we put in. We're not appreciated for the skill and the professionalism and the knowledge that we have. And I, and that specific video, I think showcases just, you see the art that it's art but you don't see the artistry, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you walk, like you walk into a museum and you see something beautiful. You never question how talented the artist must have been to create it. But on social, 
you do. There's that disconnect. Hmm. And it's making me think like next time you go into a museum, what if you could visualize or just like see, I guess it's the same word as visualize, how long it took each artist to put together each painting, you know, or each sculpture. And same thing can apply in the content marketing world as well as I'm totally with you. Like that's a hundred percent something that deserves more praise. We're so spoiled as consumers now because there's so much amazing content and like so many like breakthrough things that we see every day. There's a ton of really cool and fascinating stuff out there, but it's really, really key to, to keep in mind that, Hey, this, this is not stuff that is put together instantly. You know, these are people's jobs and careers and, it makes me think back to even like, I mean, this is a small example, but like as a podcast producer, like when I put together episode 100 for this podcast, it was the first time I had like gone back to previous episodes and also patched together like a bunch of new interviews and blooper. Like it was, it was a whole different operation than like what I was used to on the weekly basis. And it was like so much like night and day time consuming compared to a typical episode. I can barely even conceive of like this Nike commercial and other works that are a collage of different things, just how much time and how much planning and thought goes into that. Yeah. That's at the end of the day, I hope more people, I'm glad that it was praised for what it was at face value, but I hope, I hope that more people think about like really, cause there was a couple articles talking about how much time it took. I hope that more people were able to see that and realize just the intensity of thought that was required for that. And just, it was beautiful, but it was, it was also beautiful because it took that long because it, it had to take all that. And that is just as praiseworthy as it is at face value, if not more so. So let's get to, a segment called the unusual pet peeves, quirks, and weird talents. I'm going to mix it up and start with weird talents. What is something that you are really good at? Like you just have a knack for, but it has no impact on your business. Like it could be something around the house. It could be a memory trick. I was going to say, before you said it doesn't impact your business, I was going to say, I read energy really well, but that impacts my business. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you mean, you mean like people's like, moods and yeah vibes yeah i'm an i'm an infj so um i can have someone walk in the room and i can tell it's based on how they walk or how they how they stand how they carry themselves i can tell if someone's having a bad day yeah i can um my my husband jokes that he wishes he could go to vegas with my intuition because i've, I've picked <laughs> up on things i'll i'll know when someone's having an affair when no one else sees it i'll know when someone is is upset but they haven't told anybody i'll know like i'll know things i have no business knowing and then it comes out later and i'm just like yeah i'm not crazy <laughs> <laughs> you should be buying lottery tickets like every single day i know right i feel like i feel like it only works when it's not me like <laughs> so it would, I, i'm like the last person who'd win the lottery <laughs> Cause it would like, it would like personally benefit me. I can't read for me, but I can read for everybody else. What about pet peeves? What really grinds your gears? Loud eaters. Yep. And, and, and sorry if I sometimes fall in that category. 
it's it's loud eaters i don't like popcorn in movie theaters like it bothers me i don't like bright lights every time i've worked in an office i've always like it's like hey my lights are always going to be off i'll just bring like a soft <laughs> lamp or something this is christina she sits here in the dark i'm in a cave um <laughs> <laughs> alfred i get yeah i can't i can't do it um i'm i get i get migraines from fluorescent lights I'm, I'm that person that's always walking through the house, turning all the lights off. And it's not like, hey, it's the electric bill. It's like, no, I'm a vampire. I just need all the lights off. Like, there's no need for this. Like, y'all have plenty of sunlight. Yeah. Like, we have windows. We're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I totally get that. And actually, at the time of this recording, Dan and I, we, meet, we recently moved into a new apartment. And it has a skylight. And... Mm she's going to kill me because I literally talk about this all the time, but I, I didn't really like the skylight was kind of a bonus. It wasn't like we picked the place because of the skylight, but it adds so much natural light that previously when I would have turned a light on like earlier in the day, now it's like literally until nighttime that I don't turn the light on at all because there's so much natural light there. So like you, I'm somewhat sitting here in the dark all day, but it's, I don't know. There's something about, nice. there's something about natural, natural light. It's really nice. Yeah, natural light's better. Just always better. I I much prefer. I I always they always know when I'm on a call because I'm in my in like the mudroom slash office on one side of the house, and they they always know when I'm on a call like a video call because my light will be on. I'll have my light on. I'll have my ring light on. Right. Yeah. And if I'm not on a call, like the room is dark. There's just natural light. And then how about quirks? What is something other than anything mentioned so far? Something that's a little bit quirky about your personality yet. Maybe your husband or kids, somebody calls you out for. My my husband would say I'm an actually kind of person because I'm one of those people who's like, well, actually, oh. <laughs> I'm one of those, which I shouldn't be. Does that I, mean, you know, is that like a nicer way of saying smartass? Kind of. I'm very sarcastic. In a, in a, in a loving way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely a smartass. I'm definitely, I'm definitely sarcastic. Yeah. It's a great way to be. I always have, I always have, um, lavender or vanilla with me, like all, at all times, like a vanilla really? candle or a lavender candle or something. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say that my musical taste is probably more of like a Gen X than a millennial. I'm a Zennial. I was born 82, but, um, I'm definitely more Gen X when it comes to music versus hundred percent. Well, that just takes us right to rapid fire Q and a here. You ready for it? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's get wild. Speaking of music, I know you're a big Foo Fighters fan. What's your favorite Foo Fighters album? Oh, like <laughs> all of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat and say Best of, just because there's. Wow, wow! I should have put a qualifier on. I, I have to because I love them so much. I will go ahead and say that I have two. I have two favorites though. Okay, go for it. Softer. Well, actually, I have like the two softer is I love Razor. Razor is my favorite. And and um, also like Wheels is like a close second. But my my harder one is, is Pretender. Is the Pretender. Oh, yeah. But my next tattoo is actually going to be a quote from Razor. So I'm actually very excited about that. Oh, nice. What is, what is the quote? Patience, my dear. Because I, I have zero patience. And it's it's a quote from from razor like patience my dear <laughs> just have it have it somewhere on my arm i'm excited that's amazing always a good reminder what is your favorite marvel character of all time ah, okay so 
I have like two that I love. I love Spider-Man. My husband's a big Spider-Man fan. So I, and I, I love Peter Parker. He's, he's the cute nerdy guy that wears glasses and is a smart ass. Like that's, that's like, <laughs> that's kryptonite y'all. So I love, I love that. But I would have to say that my like core core, she's um, Thor's sister and was actually created by Neil Gaiman. And I love Neil Gaiman with my entire soul. Um, yeah. She's basically like this redheaded dress, like a Valkyrie, um, just complete badass was in Spawn and then was crossed over into Marvel and is, has done some stuff with like Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. Um, so she's not in any of the movies and probably won't be in the movies because they they took some of her specific like traits and stuff when they did Hela. They're probably not ever going to do it. But if you look up Angela or Angel, she's also called. She's this like just redheaded Valkyrie, just just taking names. So that's that would be it. But like mainstream Spider-Man. I'm starting to sense you know your stuff as well in that universe. <laughs> as we bit. talk about as we talk about yet another universe. And then <laughs> since you are a routine meditator, what mm-hmm. is a quick tip you can share that helped you get better at meditating? Get rid of anything that can distract you. You have to, you have to make sure that like your phone's on do not disturb. People know that you're meditating and not to bother you. The world cannot wait to give you a notification of something. You have got to get rid of all of those things because it's, it's very easy to fall out of it. And if you're busy and you're stressed, then you're going to, your brain's already going to be reminding you of all the things that you need to do. You need your external world to not remind you as well. At least for like 10 to 15 minutes. Then you can go back to like notification central. Exactly. I think uh, another message close to home for you that also applies is patience, my dear. Yep. Well, Christina, thank you so much. This has been great. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your stories and your weird life, as you say, but (laughs) the social listening tips and and all your amazing thoughts in the digital space. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? On Twitter, it's at that Christina G on LinkedIn. You can um, search Christina M. Garnett or Christina Garnett. Instagram is that Christina G, but it's not really marketing based. It's lots of trees and nature and and stuff hey, like that, that stuff's cool too. And um, all my all my writing is on on Medium, and you can just search Christina Garnett. Awesome, perfect. Well, thanks again. And last thing here, final thoughts. The stage is yours. It could be uh, another Foo Fighters quote, or it could be whatever you <laughs> want. Send us off here. Um, ooh, okay. Just be kind. There's there's a lot of stuff going on right now, so choose to be better. What a terrible message. <laughs> Thank you so. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christina. (laughs) I can't believe you said that. (laughs) I have never been more offended in my life. Thank you so much, Christina, for coming on the podcast, sharing your stories and everything and everything. And thank you, Wild Listeners, for tuning into another episode. If you're enjoying the Wild Business Growth Podcast, make sure to share it with a friend. And you can find out more about podcast production at maxpodcasting.com. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos!